I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week, we talk to author Alex Holder all about money. Journalist Rebecca Reed chats friendships and why you know it's time to break up with a friend. And broadcaster Angie Greaves is in the studio to talk all about some amazing women. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, Fabulous Alex Holder, author of Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money, which is out next week on 7th of March. Uh, it's in the studio with us. Alex, welcome. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so tell us, what was it that made you decide to write this book? Um, I think like everything, it was kind of personal conversations with my friends. So I was, I wanted to quit a job, a full-time job that had a decent salary. And like everything else, I'd go to my friends and normally kind of go through like big life changes. I'd discuss it with them, whether it was dating or, um, you know, even career changes. And then this time I was like, I didn't feel like I could really discuss it with them without discussing money. Mm. So to say, I want to go freelance and to kind of for those conversations to elicit any real advice, I had to like lay out the meat of my money. Like this is how much my mortgage is. This is how much I pay on childcare every month. This is what I might be earning, maybe not. And I did that. I actually did kind of lay it out. And it was, it yeah, it wasn't as shameful as I thought it might be. It was actually quite liberating. And even talking to friends who weren't less than me at the time, they, like, listened to me stress about it. And it was still a very, like, honest, authentic conversation. How did they respond? Because I remember a few years ago, I, I've always been very bad with money. I will own that I don't know where it comes in it goes out I don't know where and people are often proud of being bad with money I'm not proud of it I just I've accepted it um and I have a friend who's very very good with money mm-hmm. and I knew that she actually earned less than me but she her budgeting is so good that she always seemed to have more money free money mm-hmm. to spend and so I actually said to her could we have a sit down and can I take you through what I'm doing mm-hmm. and can you talk to me about where you think I could potentially be doing better and she said, yeah, of course, of course, I would. but it was a really awkward conversation. She was obviously very uncomfortable about it. I felt that I was making her uncomfortable and then that made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's easy for everyone to talk about money? No, it's not easy for everyone. Also, we're at a point when we're not talking about money. It's kind of still a taboo. It's quite yeah. shameful. Um, and I think people feel shame about money, whether they earn lots or, or earn less or spend lots or spend less. Do we know where that comes from, though? That shame, that taboo around money? 
I think like most like lots of other topics in life that people think are shameful like periods or mental health I think it's been something that's just been perpetuated for a long time but also not talking about money benefits the most powerful people in society because not talking about money keeps kind of wealth gaps and you know gender pay gaps so that's the point that I was going to make I actively talk about money with my friends but that's because we actively talk about ambition and the, sort of the next job and the next job and the next job and we always have since university. So it was important for us to say, well, you know, what's the salary and how much more is it and what are you going to negotiate and what do you think so-and-so's earning? So it was all it was always just part of our, um, uh, our, you know, just the way that we spoke. And the only thing that I think now that comes into our conversation is the judgment. Mm. So I accept, I spend probably a mortgage on Ubers but the, my rationale for it is that I'm not the sort of person that wants to suffer in the rain, take two tubes home, when actually I can get into a car and do some emails to work. And they're always a bit like, but you could get on the train and you could be home in half an hour. And for me, it's just something It's just something that I want. And I don't spend my money on certain things that they do, but they justify the things that they spend their money on as more worthwhile. So that's the only time tension has come into our conversations about money. But I... But because we always had the ambition, the, the the talking about money when it comes to jobs and houses and deposits, that has never been an issue. And I, so I think the taboo is, is ambition. Or the part taboo, of the taboo that influences how people talk about money is also the taboo related to ambition and work. So I actually think it's the other way around because hearing that, I was like, that's exactly how I feel about it. I'm really happy to talk about what I earn. <laughs> but when somebody asks me, what do you spend that money on? I get very defensive because <laughs> I'm like I'm probably frittering it away on things that are not worth it being frittered on. Do you to think there is a distinction, Alex? Yeah, well, I think like there's so much judgment with money because because we rarely speak about it and aren't often honest about it. Like you saying, I don't want to tell my friends yeah. quite how I spend my money. It's really easy to judge people because they don't really know why you're doing things. You know, they're not getting to kind of the heart of like your behaviour. I'm sure if you kind of took them through the emotions. Like, yeah. Do your friends understand your Uber habit now that you explain it to them? Yeah. They're yeah. like, well, it, it's Natalie. She's <laughs> not going to get on yeah. the at this time from this location. That's just the way it is. But that they but they still say, you know, if you wanted more disposable income, you could just take less Ubers. So, so yeah. it's still but in their head know as that. a judgment. Yeah, of course. But they won't um, think twice about spending a lot of money on a meal. And so, you know, it's, we but know pe- what our, our points are. But people have lots of different um, spending habits or kind yeah. of idiosyncrasies and kind of, like, I find it really easy to buy alcohol. Like, mm-hmm. handing over, putting down my card for a round of drinks is really yeah, easy. Same. But paying for, like, to get into an exhibition, I find really difficult. Me too. <laughs> I'm like, why am I paying £10 yeah. to go and see this thing? But that's about understand. what you perceive as value, <laughs> Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, I, I think, having those chats with your friend, friends as well and actually saying, this is what I spend my money on. But don't you think there is some... Um, I don't know. I do find money does change things. Money does mm-hmm. change friendships, dynamics. You do have to be careful around the topic of, of money. Yes. So I I treat it like the topic of sex or mental health. So in spaces you feel safe with people yeah. you love and trust, yeah. then talking about money is okay. And also, like those two, like if you're talking about sex, you would never belittle someone or show off. And I think you shouldn't do that with money either. It's, it is absolutely still a sensitive topic yeah but it doesn't mean that I think we allow it too much kind of um 
I guess it's a bit like, you know, we never discuss like a woman's age or you're not allowed to talk mention weight and those two figures. So almost by making them unspeakable, we give them too much power. And I think we've done the same Do with you? money. But then, but then I'm thinking if, if you are two friends and you've been friends and neither of you have known each other, what each other has earned and you've been hanging out and doing stuff together and then you found out, one of them found out that they were on earning perhaps twice the other mm. one. Do you not think that would change the dynamic of the friendship? No. Why would it? No. I don't. But well, I actually think that that fact exists anyway. And what happened if you were both hanging out and you were doing things that one person couldn't afford because yeah, you hadn't discussed that it? That comes up a lot, doesn't it? And I think especially when you're in your 20s when you know your career tra- trajectories can be very different. So one minute you would be on the same and the next minute somebody might get a really good promotion and suddenly be earning double. And then that person wants to then be having more expensive dinners and the other person can't afford it, and that can create tension. We've talked about that before. Mm. On the show. That's where the conversation helps. So a year, a year, two years ago, when I was skint broke, and we were going out, and I was like, guys, I'm poor. You were like, I'll buy the Prosecco. <laughs> and you don't even drink, but you bought me a bottle of Prosecco. It, had I have sat there and sort of wallowed in it, the whole dynamic would have been completely different. I would have felt uncomfortable. You would have felt uncomfortable because I would have been espousing mm-hmm. all of this negative energy. As soon as you talk about stuff, then you can make a decision. And so I think just talking about it, you realise there really is no issue. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL. We're talking money with the fabulous Alex Holder. Alex, I wanted to talk to you about money and relationships. Because hmm. this, for me, feels like a very tense point in having a relationship with somebody the point when I have to tell them again not even how much I earn that's fine like what I spend my money on I I'm I'm just who knew I was so private about it I'm apparently very <laughs> private about that what are you spending your no I want to know what are you spending your money on that's so secretive Harriet I don't know now I don't know where it's going but like I oh it feels really oh god it feels really icky to me ah um, so how do we how do we have those conversations and like at what point in the relationship do you have to, is it first <gasps> yeah, date can you have secret spending fi- do you I have a friend financial who has infidelity a, I have a friend yeah. who has is it though if it's your money yeah. you're earning it well I have a friend who has a running away fund her husband does not know about it I don't know yeah. I've mentioned this before yeah, yeah. I Alex- don't think I'd ever tell my partner what I spent on my money on some of their business <laughs> I earn it I spend it jog on mate <laughs> I actually I don't have um, a joint account with my partner I love so you we, for that <laughs> we have a kid together we've been together seven years and we talk about money all the time but we don't actually get to see exactly what each other spends nice. our money on okay. do you have like a joint account for bills or anything like no, that none so you mm. just rely on each other to pay the right amount at the right time? Yeah. Do you we, have a running away fund? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not a running away fund, but I think it's not about running away from the relationship. But I think if you don't have savings, you yeah. can get trapped in many, many things. Yes, and, um, that's true. They give you freedom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. So when did you start talking about money with your other half? And who brought the conversation up? Um quite early because I when I first met him I was working in an advertising agency I was earning a decent amount of money but I almost didn't realize I was earning a decent amount I really didn't respect the money I was earning and I just kind of churned through it until it was like replaced at the end of the month is how I saw it Mm. and he was freelance and very he valued his time so he would go I'm going to work two weeks and then I'm going to take two weeks off and do this guitar building course and (laughs) almost (laughs) like those two I know um, attitudes of money to come together because it's not 
it's not always about different um, salaries kind of, yeah. make, you know, coming together in a relationship. It's also you might get a saver and a splurge mm. or a flippant person like me. And he was a bit more considered. Um, we had to discuss it because I almost to understand how his life worked. I had to go, but wait a minute. Like, when do you earn your money and when are you not earning, you know? And so mm. we chatted probably in a couple, couple, like first two months. And how do you have... How do you manage that if somebody is a saver and somebody else is a splurger or if you just have different money values, is that the death of a relationship? It's not the death of a relationship, but I think it takes a kind of, you both have to start understanding yeah. and maybe accept and a bit of compromising. Yeah. It's not easy. Did You You went freelance, didn't you? Mm. Were you freelancing? Did your attitude to money change from being employed to being freelance? Massively. Yeah, okay. Suddenly when you're, I think when you split your wage down into a day rate and you're, you really start to value your time, that I just don't waste money anymore. I used, you know, I'd literally look at a pair of jeans and be like, is this worth sat for an hour in a boardroom? Are they right. worth it? Yeah. You know, yes or no. Yeah. Um, I, I, but again, I think that's part of the journey that people need to go on with their own money to understand what is this purchase costing me and how important is it to who I am and my values or, or what I how I how I want to live and I think actually the throw so the thing that I personally don't think I have is the throwaway mentality around money mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of what I'm spending and I have apps that tell me exactly where it's Those going Ubers are worth it so yeah so I so for what I earn that percentage of spend on Ubers is worth it for my own mental health and sanity and everything else and so I, I think the, your book is really important to get people to that place where they just understand because I don't think people do make the connection between uh, the relationship with money and, and your values and how mm. you see yourself and everything you learned from your childhood. Um, I, lots of people that I've spoken to uh, associate the way that they spend with the, what happened in their family home. Yes. And whether they had money growing up or didn't yeah. have money. Uh, and therefore there's the, there's, there's worry. Um, I was speaking to another friend who spends money in a similar way to me and her dad had a similar, um, uh, you know, not back, basically bankruptcy mm. and we there was so much correlation to the way we thought about money now almost it's you can have lots of it but it can all go so why not enjoy your life because mm -hmm. you just never know so and it was just bizarre there was so much connection but I think you need to understand it to then change your relationship with money yeah and I think even though I am encouraging for everyone to actually have conversations you know, speak out loud to your friends and and um, partners about money it's also about having a conversation with yourself. Mm. So truly, like looking at your purchases, why am I doing that? Yeah, mm. and I, I don't think, people don't do it. They what, avoid money. What don't do look you, at my bank account. What do you do if you if you have a friend? It's a bit, we were just talking earlier in the, in the break about spending and sh being a shopaholic is almost a bit like being an alcoholic. What do you mm. do if you see a friend that is a bit out of control of their spending? Because money can be used in a bit of a like self-sabotage way. Mm. If you see your friend massively overspending or, you know, I've had friends who've gone through a stage of like heartbreak and they've just gone, stuff it, I'm going to book that luxury hotel or I'm just going to buy all these clothes. And you know that they're sinking further and further into debt. And we also... Um, so I'll come to that one sec, but we also have a thing where do you ever notice when a friend says, oh, do you like this top? And you go, go on, buy it, get it. Yeah, we're yeah. almost, we often, we like... Treat yourself, isn't it? Yeah, treat, treat yourself, yourself, exactly. Yeah. So we're often encouraging friends to spend money. So I think if you do have a friend that you're thinking they're spending wildly and going to get themselves into trouble, 
it's again about conversation. Yeah, it's true. And getting them to ask the questions of themselves, but not s- judgment. But I think people don't like to not have money. So I have had friends before, and like Natalie was saying, you know, she had a time where she was being really frugal. No qualms about actually. I let's just broke, go frugal, out. Frugal, I was broke. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Even the, so, Nat and I are really similar, which is when you got it, spend but it. Yeah, when you don't, rein it in. <laughs> but you know, I have got friends who would feel uncomfortable about me treating them or do you know what I mean I've had Mm. friends before and I know that you know times are a bit hard money maybe they've got kid or whatever and I've been like don't worry but let's just I'm more interested in like the going out and having dinner and it doesn't matter if I pay for somebody but sometimes people are massively uncomfortable about about that aren't they I think but then you have to respond to each friend as you know look at them and what is the best thing I can do for them in this situation and it might be saying come around to mine and I'll cook dinner you know get the wine in or let's just stay at yours tonight and get pizza rather than not going out for that expensive dinner or not having to offer to buy them a bottle of Prosecco. Natalie's going to be totally easy know, on that. It was a bottle of Prosecco, not even a glass. She realised I needed a bottle. But it's, and it's also sitting through that first moment of uncomfortableness. Because, it, like, you know, discomfort rather. You're going you're going to have a conversation about money. Like I said, not when all at different points in the journey. Like you're, you're chatting about it with your friends. Uh, I am with my friends, but some of my friends don't want to talk about it. So it's like just that first initial moment and then test it and then keep. How do you feel about colleagues talking about money? So we talk a lot about the gender pay gap on the show. I personally feel like if you... I feel like we have a moral responsibility as women to other women Mm -hmm. to talk about or at least share within our colleagues how much we earn so they know whether they're on a par or not. But do you think it can breed, can it breed resentment or is it a good thing? It can breed resentment. I do think it's a good thing. I think there are smart people that you can chat to, certain colleagues or even ex-colleagues. So... I think sitting at your desk at work and just talking to the two people sat next to you might not be the right thing to do or even the people in your team. But I found that talking to ex-bosses is really helpful. So if I'm kind of about to work out what my rate is for a job, I'll go and ask them, what you know, what would you pay me or what do you pay similar people? I think speaking to people that have left your company is really helpful. Like when they're on the way out at the leaving party, what were you being paid? <laughs> like genuinely, go and ask them. After a few glasses of wine, yeah. just before the exit, yeah. And I think... Also, what you realise is that only a few data points, you only often need like one other person in your company to work out where you sit. Mm -hmm. I do think there's a flip, though. We've discussed it before. I had a client who told me that I was undercharging in comparison to all of the men that she was working with. Mm -hmm. So I didn't I didn't ask. She volunteered that information. And so I think we have a responsibility as women that might be more senior to volunteer the information to other women so they know what they should be thinking about. I am very happy telling people. And I I can see it be helpful. I can also, I've had conversations where people have kind of gone, oh, okay, well, I'm not earning that yet. And it has been a slightly uncomfortable. But they're going to go away with that information. Yeah, and the yeah. next time they negotiate, yeah. they're going to be, yeah, push harder. So that's the thing that I think is really good, which is if you know somebody's earning significantly more than you, it might be uncomfortable, but at least then you know, well, hang on, we're doing a similar job. So I can push. I remember being told that... Um, a guy was charging five times my day rate to do a job that he was not as qualified to do. And that really gave me, I was really angry about it for about half an hour. And then I was like, actually, I'm being angry at him for daring to charge five times. I should be angry at me (laughs) for not daring to charge five times what I'm charging. And then I asked for it and didn't get it. But there we go. That is life. (laughs) Um, Alex, what do you think is the, if people want to take more control over their money and have a better relationship, where should they be starting? 
Um, I think they should definitely get a banking app that means they can literally see what they're spending their money on every day. And it's it's so easy to switch these days, you know. Yeah. And there's many of them, like Monzo and Starling, or Revolut are three. Um, so, like, take start taking, you know, really look at your money. And, and uh, yeah, if you're wincing when you're looking at your bank account, you should look at it even more often. Mm. And then try and just have one conversation that you might not have had last week with a friend or your partner or a colleague and then see like how you feel after that conversation and maybe have another one. Are you an advocate of doing that thing where you write down everything you spend? Right, you just don't need to anymore. Like get yeah. a bank and you can literally see it. I must admit that data, I have that data now, mainly through my business. And one year I was like nap with the Ubers. I was like, that's my treat, you know, I've had a tough mm-hmm. week. I looked at how much I was spending over the course of the year and I was actually really annoyed because I was like, I value it, but I don't value it that much. Mm-hmm. And I literally, it was a ridiculous amount of money. And I've now, I'm like, do you know what? No, I'll get the tube home and then I'll just get mm-hmm. a little cab at the end. And I save my uber journeys now but yeah seeing it because you know every week you're like oh it's only it's only 20 quid it's only 30 quid whatever but then seeing that totted up over the year was like that was uh yeah yeah sobering the data yeah how has your spending changed since you wrote the book um i just i call it mindful spending which i know is like yeah sounds very naff (laughs) but it kind of works like i i genuinely just think about every purchase and i like I realised I was buying loads of vitamins just because I had to walk through a boots to get out of my station every day. <laughs> and you know, I boots don't do that anymore. Boots is one of those shops. I can spend like £2,000 in boots. I don't know what happens. Yeah, I know. What happens you in that store? You go for contact and you're like, oh, I've gone way over. Um, yeah, so like I really take into account and I'll, I ha- okay, I have, a, this This is the, my one naff trick. It's called the list. So the list, if I want to buy anything, like any big ticket item that is like just not, above an uber or kind of the food i'm going to buy that day i put it down on the list it might be like boots or perfume or something and then if i won't buy it until it's been on the list for a week and often it falls off the list because once mm, you like just put yeah. a bit of distance yeah. in between and also you're not saying oh i shouldn't buy it you're no. like i'm gonna buy that but i'm not gonna buy it this week I'm just gonna I'm gonna judge. Buy it a couple of weeks. do i yeah. want those sliders more than i want those headphones yeah. and then I like that. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that. The list. The list. I Yeah. I'm going to do that. I like that one. Yeah. I'll let you know how I get on. Because sometimes it's the like, I shouldn't buy it. Is and the... then it becomes even more attractive. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. even and have a, I shouldn't buy it. I just buy, buy it. it. <laughs> and then I'm like, I, I got home. So I got home. No, no, no lie. I got home and I had bought my fourth pair of silver shoes. And I knew that because on the stairs were three pairs of silver shoes. <laughs> You had them on, and I. Well, I I wear them because they were on the stairs, but I didn't realise that I like silver shoes and obviously have a thing for buying silver shoes because I just bought another pair and they weren't cheap. So it is that if I actually if I put it on the list, I would have got home that evening, saw the other three silver shoes, and realised I did not need that specific. But pair I of do silver that. Shoes. I'll buy one like really nice thing, like a pair of silver shoes. Well, not that, and then I'll be like, I'm going to get another pair because I love buying that pair <laughs> so much. <laughs> And, and I'll end colors. up like yeah. three or four, like coats is my thing. I'll buy a really nice black coat and then I'm like, maybe I need another nice black coat. <laughs> but what coat. you should say to yourself, because I do that as exactly the same thing. <laughs> I need that. more jeans like this. Yeah. It's like, no, I should just wear these Things jeans more exactly, often. Exactly, exactly. Um, one last thing before. <laughs> that, like, There are so many strong emotions around money and like judgment and shame and anxiety, all the things we've discussed today. And I just want people to kind of realise that is normal. Like money is emotional. 
but maybe like mm. mental health and sex and other things conversation could help well i mm. think there was something you posted on your instagram which was money should also be joy yeah yeah so there should be an upside to it as well as stress and anxiety yeah exactly yeah. alex we've loved chatting to you alex's book uh open up the power of talking about money is out on the 7th of march in all good bookshops or you can pre-order it now on amazon alex thank you so much for coming in if people want to follow you find you talk to you about some money where can they look um, at Alexandra Holder on Instagram, but spelt with an E at the end of Alexandra. Just to confuse it, but now we know. <laughs> Thank you so much. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL here on Talk Radio. Welcome to the studio, Angie Greaves. Hello. Hello, badass women. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Uh, We are talking about really badass women with you tonight because you have launched a whole new award to find some amazing women. Now, I've got to be very, very upfront here. I am hosting the Amazing Women Awards. That's fine. But if you want to assume that I've launched it, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Amazing Women Awards was founded by a lady called Ros Thornton. Okay. And it was co-founded alongside Ros by Evadne Campbell, MBE. And they just felt that there are so many awards around. There's so many, you yeah. know. And and I think social media, as great as it is, it has opened up a lot of people to become, let's just say, uh business people that don't necessarily run businesses if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. trying to be very very kind here. <laughs> yeah. so what if Adney and Roz thought they'd do is they would create something called Amazing Women Awards and it's just about ordinary women who do amazing things 
Now, that could be a mother who's taken on four stepchildren, but she still holds herself together. And (laughs) and that could be like last year's winner of the um, Lifetime Achievement Award. I won't say her name, but this lady had a terminally ill son. And after years of nursing him, after years of looking after him, um, on his request, she helped him to cross over. Now, that is an amazing thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if any of you here are mothers, but, you know, no one should bury their Mm -hmm. child. And it was about the courage that that took and it was about her sharing her story. And it really was quite an amazing, it was an amazing story. And what we do is, as opposed to having what I would say is your usual run-of-the-mill event. It is a lovely afternoon tea at the Millennium Gloucester Hotel in Kensington. We sit, we share, we have some bubbles, whether that be Prosecco or sparkling water, (laughs) and we just share stories. And they've asked me to host this for the second year running, and I couldn't turn it down. That's very unique awards, because you're right, Mm. there's always an award for the business, the entrepreneur, the Instagrammer, the blogger, radio, but but actually, that some of that stuff is actually more phenom- phenomenal, yes. <laughs> than powerful than yeah well, than any business. We forget sometimes that women, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form ostracizing men here, but we forget sometimes as women, especially as we are mothers, as you ladies will find out when you become mothers, you are an unofficial doctor. You are an unofficial Uber driver. You are an unofficial teacher. You are an unofficial cleaner. You are running a business because you're holding a house I would together. I to my friends have kids. I'm like, you are now the CEO of a human being. Absolutely. That is a big Absolutely. job. I, I once did a seminar not long after I became a mum, and my kids are now 17 and 20. And I think at the time, my kids would have been about five and three. And I can remember just doing a seminar with some ladies. And at the time, it, it, it was um, wasn't even a whiteboard. It was just it was just a, a piece of paper there, you know. And I put up this job description: um, doctor, no qualifications required; nurse, no qualifications required; uh, driver, but you must have a driving license; <laughs> uh, teacher, no qualifications required. Um, you will never be able to change departments. You will never. <laughs> you will never get a pay rise. You will never be able to go to HR and complain. No holidays. No holidays. <laughs> Salary zero. <laughs> and I said, who would take that job? And I can't repeat what a lot of people said because I like my working radio. <laughs> and I said, okay, who here is a mother? And of the women that put their hands up, I said, but that's what you're doing. Mm. And it's amazing because we still want to be badass, don't Mm -hmm. we? We still want to hold ourselves together. We still want to wear the hair and get the nails. We want to look good. A lot of the time, and I will say this, some women are just holding on at the edge. You know, they're walking down the road looking fly. But if you were to ask them what they're really (laughs) feeling, it would be a completely different story. So that's one of the reasons why I've really got involved in this Amazing Women Awards. And... They are, uh, one award is for the amazing woman, the amazing mum, the amazing woman in business, the amazing young woman and the lifetime achievement. So it's just five awards, afternoon tea, lots of chatting and lots of sharing. And I've always said when women do get together and when there's a true, true connection, Mm -hmm. 
you can't get a better feeling. But how do you find the women? What's the okay, process? Sorry. Okay. So um, Roz puts out on her website and mm-hmm. through social media uh, for mon- nominations, right. which have now closed. And the amazing thing was this year, she got nominations from Sri Lanka, Africa, the US and wow, the Caribbean. Global now. Because it's it's global, isn't yeah. it? Women, wherever you go in this world, yeah. you know, whether you are in a penthouse at the top of a beautiful building in New York or whether you are in the Outer Hebrides, women have babies and breastfeed, don't they? <laughs> you know, there's no... Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you will also find that you uh, there is a different gene that kicks in when you become a mother and it's almost as though your female gene goes into overdrive if that makes sense because you still want to hold down a job if you you know if you feel you're able you still want to go out you still want to socialize and i think your organizational skills get better when you become a mother as well and it's nice to have your kids grow with you carry on my dear have you seen a, a, a change over the years in terms of the amount of pressure being put on mothers to be amazing yes. or awesome and have it together all of the time. Can I can I tell you a story about when I had my daughter, my eldest daughter Morgan, she's not long, long turned 20, and I can remember at the antenatal class I was the second most mature woman there. We're not old, we're mature. Yes. <laughs> uh, there was one lady that was more mature as me, more mature than me, and she had it together. The phone matched the, <laughs> the the iPad case, and the you know the the shoes matched the lipstick, and the coat matched the briefcase, and she had a beautiful baby bump, and she was together. I can remember going to the doctor's surgery and seeing her, and it was a different woman. She just had on uh, jeans and a t-shirt. Hair was messy. She was a mess. And she said, but Ange, I don't understand. I did this. And, you know, I've got the nanny and I've got the cleaner and I've got the... I said, yeah, but you had the baby. And you need to understand that you've got to stop being so hard on yourself. Number one, your body, you know... It's It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Your body changes. And people tend to think that, you know, because, you know, you've got this bump, it's great. But the first thing to go is your mind (laughs) and your memory. My girls still laugh at me for putting the keys in the fridge and just squeezing the toothpaste, thinking that shower gel, you know, they still <laughs> laugh at me. But you, you've, you've got to be kind to yourself and you've, you know, you're not going to be the same. You've got to slow down. You've got to be real. You can't go out every evening. I mean, you can, but you know, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. And so in answer to your question, I think it's, it's very important to not give in to being the all-seeing, all-flying, fabulous person. Just be you. Mm. But remember that you are fabulous and you are amazing because you're now a CEO of a life. (laughs) Do you think we're at a point where we need an Amazing Men Awards? Because, (laughs) I, you know, I remember a few years ago starting to go to all these uh, kind of specific women awards and thinking actually I was like everyone asked why have you only got women only awards and I yeah. thought actually it's really important because do you know what when we have mixed gender awards somehow the women do not win them for whatever reason yes. the women don't get them so we need to celebrate some amazing women doing some incredible things and it's really important we have our own awards but just from what you've been saying about these particular awards it feels like I would love to hear some of these stories about men as well mm. absolutely mm. I think one of the things that's really driven home and hit home since the 
evolving yeah. of our permission <laughs> to be women and to be fabulous and to open our mouths. Mm. I think we've in some cases, ostracised our men. Mm. And I think we've got to be very, very careful of that. And I think it's really important as well that we make it very, very clear that, OK, the rise of the woman is here, but we're not, you know, like a a, a, a ball going down the alley to knock the... You know, what is it yeah. when you go bowling? Yeah. You know, you knock the skittles over. No, we're not knocking the men over. I mean, why would we want to do that? What I think is very important is that we make it very, very clear that we've come to complement what you do mm. we've come to join you we've come because we'd like a bit more of an equal balance mm. there is nothing to be afraid of you know we're not burning our bras we're not being <laughs> you know because sometimes it can be it's it can look quite quite aggressive sometimes mm -hmm. yeah when some women just go a little bit overboard yeah. and then I think that completely knocks away the work that we're trying to do you know if you go in like a bull in a china shop it it takes away what you're really trying to do what you're really trying to say does, does that make sense well it does no only the um the aggression i remember a guy saying to me once when he found out that i was a feminist he was like oh how like like how feminist are you on the scale <laughs> and the extreme scale was obviously the really angry feminist yeah. and but in my head i was like well it's not really a scale, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am a feminist. You're either in or you're but out. But it was the sheer, there was, there was genuine fear. He was not even joking. He was genuinely trying to work out whether I was an angry feminist. When you say the word feminist, what is the first adjective that comes to your mind? Yeah, it's angry. It's anger, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we, you know, not even soften it, remove it. You yeah. don't have to be angry mm. to stand up for who you are as a woman and what you believe in. Um, I mean, for many, many years, I was the only woman on magic. Yeah. There was an ideal opportunity for me to say, right, I'm here. <laughs> and, you know, being a black woman as well, have you heard the term ABW? Yeah. Angry black woman. There was my opportunity. Yeah. You know, but what's it going to achieve? Mm -hmm. What's it going to achieve? Mm. So you, you just take the road, step at a time, because you can't go two steps at a time because you're going to miss something. You just take the road a step at a time, do what you have to do. Yes, there are going to be knockbacks because that's life. It would be wonderful if we could go from rung one of the ladder to rung 10 and nothing ever went wrong <laughs> and we had all this wisdom when we got to the top. <laughs> it's not real, is it? It's just not real. Do you know what I mean? Do you think the media industry has changed in the last few years? Because I've... I've noticed the media industry paying like a lot of lip service to the concept of diversity in all its forms. You know, let's have more women on the radio. Let's have more women of colour on the radio. Let's make sure that we are representing everyone's voices. And yet when I look at the lineups across mm -hmm. pretty much every radio station, mm -hmm. when I look at who's presenting all the TV shows, when I look at who's writing all the columns in the paper, it's still 75 to 80% men. Okay. And that's not going to change overnight. Mm. If you think about it, radio's been going... I'm going to use yeah. radio because that's the industry that I'm in and I love. So radio was first launched, what, 1924? Yeah. Okay, let's say it was launched 1930. Mm -hmm. That's 86 years ago. So 86 years of programming, whether conscious or unconsciously, yeah. is not 
going to change overnight. And that is why it's important that we maintain our positions because there is a girl watching you, there is a girl watching you, there's a girl watching me, there's a girl watching you. So we maintain our positions, we hold our heads up. Sometimes we need to zip our mouths. Only sometimes. (laughs) Only sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And we soldier through so that then the changes will be made. In terms of diversity, I know that's the word that was coming up so much. I must have been invited to about... (laughs) (laughs) No, every week, every week. Okay, so there's 52 weeks in a year. So I'll (laughs) say that I've been invited to at least 52 diversity meetings in one year. And it got to a point where I thought, okay, I'm enjoying the canapes <laughs> sometimes I, you can enjoy the wine I'm enjoying the wine but I need to know now what's going to change yes. yeah. I need to know Yeah. and so I felt at one point that the word diversity was just being a, it was just being a throwaway word mm. you know something drops into your inbox diversity meeting you must be there the amount of those that I deleted mm. because I wasn't seeing any change Yeah. Yeah. and I think what needs to happen is instead of having these meetings talking about what's happening we need to have meetings about who's going to be the first person to have the guts to make a change. Mm. Oh, I love Love that. that. Set a challenge. Well, yeah. Love a challenge. Do you have a vision of what change looks like? I have a vision of what I'd like to see change look like. Mm -hmm. And I have a vision of how I believe media across the board and I'm not just talking radio I'm talking Mm. TV I'm talking Mm. press social media well let's just look at Instagram that's given every every black hairstylist every black wig maker and every black (laughs) makeup artist an opportunity to you know um, promote their business but I think until we can honestly Mm. look at our TV stations the radio lineups and the columnists in the newspapers Mm. and magazines and they reflect exactly what the UK is then we still got a lot of work to do. The fabulous yeah. Angie Greaves here on Badass Women's Hour XL. One, two, three, four! We are talking to Rebecca Reed, author of Perfect Lies. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Tell us about the book. What is it about? Um, so it's kind of dark women's fiction and uh, much better than me. One of the bloggers who read it uh, sort of viewed it as like an adult British mean girls, but with murder. <laughs> wow. I feel like that sums up pretty well. <laughs> um, I have read it. It is a great, I thought of it as kind of chiclet thriller. And I say that with a lot of love for the term chiclet. I really enjoyed it. But it's all about female friendship and our friends that we have as children mm. that we take into adulthood when maybe we should have left them behind. That's absolutely it. And I think a lot of the inspiration was that I got to a point in my sort of like early, mid-20s. But I was sort of, I'm 28 now, so I was probably 26 when I wrote it. And it was when these friendships that I'd had since school were really starting to either fall apart or band back together. 
and I had this obsession with conserving friendships if they were long, if they were long, like mm-hmm. that somehow made me a better person, or or like, and, and and there was this real deep need in me not to stop being friends with people who I'd been friends with since I was a teenager, and I kind of went, but my God, why? Like we're not good for each other, we're competitive, we're snarky, we're making each other actively unhappy, and yet I'm obsessed with keeping these friendships. And why is that? What happened with those friends when you started to... Did you actually have a conversation with them where you said maybe this is not a great friendship anymore? Or did you just archive no. their WhatsApp chats? <laughs> no, so I don't believe in ghosting your friends. I think that's pretty mean. Um, and, I, and I didn't like it when boys did it to me, so I try not to do it to my friends. Um, but I think, actually, to be honest, I haven't ended many friendships because of it, but I've definitely tried to reshape them. And the, the real thing that I've taken from it is through writing these really complicated, not particularly nice characters, I kind of, it became very self-reflective and I found myself writing lines that I had said mm-hmm. and, and it kind of, it like I sort of bled onto the page all the bad friendship things I'd done and it made me want to take control of my friendships and if I was feeling competitive with somebody rather than bitching about them to one of my other friends, instead say to them, actually I'm really envious that you have this boyfriend, career, promotion, house, how did you get it? Rather than just whining about it to other people. That's a very good point. I think that is the dark side of of friendships most definitely and so take us back slightly how did you go from thinking about this to saying oh i'm gonna write a whole book and it's going to (laughs) be mean girls with a bit of murder um so the original idea i came up with when i was a teenager when i was at school because we had this english teacher who said we were reading lord of the flies like everyone sort of has to um and we were all quite bored by it because it was just about boys and so the teacher <laughs> was trying to get interested and she said uh, he said in fact um okay so le- for this lesson we're going to kind of rewrite it and we're going to talk about what would it be like if it was girls and so everybody else in my class said oh they'd be so much nicer there wouldn't be any arguments they'd be way more organized and i was like are you mad it would be <laughs> so much worse but it would be it would be more organized but it would be nastier and it would be way more underhanded and i think i just i was so sick of this idea that girls are the sweet kind gender rather than the fact that girls are just as nasty as men can be women are just as nasty as men can be it's just we're not socialized to be allowed to be nasty in an explosive way so we internalize it all and then we're bitchy rather than confrontational yeah, just be a massive passive aggressive island so, Rebecca, it? Har- <laughs> no, it's everywhere. harriet let slip earlier that you guys went to the same school and it was we a did. girls school so oh, i'm intrigued girls. to find out what the hell was going on at you lot yeah. <laughs> well i was thinking about this um so I'll tell you two things. One was when Rebecca said that she had a male English lit teacher, I was like, oh God, I remember when we had a male English lit teacher and the poor guy had to leave after a year because it was so traumatizing for him. <laughs> that uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is it was, I definitely remember my school days as being very intense friendships, mm. very intense. And Do you think that's because it was an all girls school? Um, so I, I don't, have a, data, I don't okay. have a data point to put it against. You know, I, I went to a mixed school briefly when I was younger and I was bullied by the boys and I hated it. So I preferred that all girls environment. Mm. But I I don't know, I told you this. Years ago, I was clearing out my room, my parents' house, and I found my diary from when I was 17. Mm. And literally every single day, I was changing best friends. Right. And I was falling out with one and I was getting together with another. And it was so dramatic and so intense. And... I think, like Rebecca, it, it felt, those friends felt like 
they would be friends for life. Mm. That, you know, you, you're kind of stuck with them regardless. And I think maybe at all-girls school there's a thing because, I mean, where, where I went to school, it's semi in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's it, there's, there's very little sort of access to boys. Like, I could go probably a whole <laughs> yeah. term. Like, we'd start term and none, I found none of my teachers attractive. And by the end of term, I thought that all the male teachers were incredibly hot <laughs> because I just hadn't seen a male I wasn't related to for weeks on end. And I think that the upside of that and kind of the downside is that where girls who get to date probably put quite a lot of emotional energy into dating if you don't have that option your emotional energy goes into your friendships they become mm, much more complicated mm. yeah and Rebecca, i don't know about you but i um i definitely had i'm i'm a bit older so Rebecca and i did go, go to the same school but very definitely not at the same time we didn't no i checked this darling i i checked I would, have, I would have thought you were incredibly cool in the sixth form and you would never have spoken to me because that's how it works you you really wouldn't i was very firmly in the geek group um, but uh there is um i had this thing at my kind of probably also about my mid-20s late 20s and i was like actually there are these group of girls that i have been friends with for so long mm. and who I had such intense friendships with when I was younger, but we don't have a lot in common. Mm. And mm. I, every time I see them, I feel immense kind of love and appreciation for them. But on a day-to-day basis, it's quite difficult. And one of them actually contacted me at the beginning of the year, and I haven't really spoken to her for a, quite a long time. And she contacted me to be like, oh, you know, I'm doing this thing in the year. Where I'm just trying to reinvigorate some of my friendships. I'd love to see you and catch up. And I found myself thinking I was like I, you know I would love to do that but I just do not have time and on my priorities list you're going way down the bottom mm. but I couldn't just say no because the bond mm. is so strong mm-hmm. and also I think it's that there's a sort of element of I'm failing as a person as a friend yeah. as a woman as a human if I can't spin every single plate and if I can't have school friends old friends university friends new friends work friends and we do we just absorb this idea that we've got to have this massively rich social life where we're still friends with everybody we've ever been friends Mm -hmm. with and the thing is we have all these rituals for breaking up with people romantically if they (laughs) cease to be good for us we know how to dump somebody because you've grown apart but with friendship we don't have that and i've talked about like taking somebody to coffee and saying i think maybe we're not good friends anymore and people treat that like it's the strangest idea in the world but why is it okay romantically, but not in not platonically? I've done exactly that. I've Have said you? it. Yeah. So wow. to my you know second. Well, I met her when I was in primary school. I said, I said, you know, if we met now, do you think we'd be friends? And she paused and she thought about it, and she didn't really have an answer. And I said, well, my answer is no. So therefore, I don't think this friendship is going to go anywhere so from a day-to-day perspective i'm not going to be messaging you and calling you doesn't mean that if i see you we can't be cool but we would fundamentally not be friends based on who we are now we are so different and you don't owe that person anything and i think friendship takes more time now because it's so lazy to blame everything on social media but there is an element of we we talk to our friends much more than we would have done if we just saw them for for, you know for a bottle of wine every six weeks Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort to be somebody's friend now with liking their pictures and messaging them and <laughs> constantly. It's okay not to want to do that for everyone. Yeah, but I do think we have a culture where we're a little bit throwaway with people with the whole dating is like that. I think, you know, we, we're, you can have access to so many people now. I think it's very easy to throw away friendships. And actually, I think what we're 
learning as a society that having longer term friendships like going through those ebbs and flows of life where you are a bit different for a while and then you come back together I do think there's some value in that and I do think we can get a little bit too throwaway with our friends okay I we're going to keep talking about this Rebecca are you okay to stay with us for a little yeah, bit absolutely. we'll keep talking friends and frenemies with the lovely Rebecca Reed. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio she'll get you talking and we're talking to Rebecca Reed, author of Perfect Lies, all about friendship. So before the break, we were talking about whether or not our friends have become too disposable. Emma, do you think we should be hanging on in there with the old friends? Yeah, I do. And I say that because I have a couple of friends who I've known since I was 15 and I've been through ebbs and flows with them. And I do think sometimes we probably wouldn't be friends in real life because all three of our lives are very, very different. But... um we really have been there for each other now and and I kind of know that we would all be there for each other and we know each other's history and patterns and I think there's some value in that even though I have been through times where I'm like oh I don't my life's so different and maybe we shouldn't be friends but like actually there's such ebbs and flows. Rebecca do you think you can do you think friendships can ebb and flow can there be people that actually are just not right for us right now but they can come back into our lives completely and i think it's very natural to go through stages where you see somebody more see somebody less um it's kind of all part of the rhythm of friendship i think the time when you have to start thinking about having a friendship breakup is when somebody is consistently bringing out a really bad side in you mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily about them it can very much be about you and I've had friendships where it's not, it's not that they are a bad person. It's that, for instance, I've had friends who are obsessed with dieting, who talk about food and dieting constantly. That is a huge hallmark of their personality, and it's consistently made me feel badly about myself. And that's not going to change from me, and it's not going to change from them. So I have to find a new place for them in my life, or maybe I see them twice a year when I'm home, Christmas and Easter. But I can't have that all the time because it's making me less happy, and it's making me a bad friend to them. Mm-hmm. I was talking to the girls during the break about how I have a friend who's been in my life for a really long time and who I was really, really close to. And she has a side to Most of the time I love her and then 10% of the time she's a complete nightmare and she's quite horrible. <laughs> and I sort of dealt with this for a while by just kind of like trying to trying to organise the situation so we only saw each other at a time so she would be in a good form. Um and now I've got to the point where I'm like, I think actually our friendship is kind of done. And I realised from what you said earlier that I'm probably ghosting her. Oh, really? And mm. I need to... But I don't That's know. It. Do I need to have a conversation? Maybe maybe she's going to be a friend who comes back at some point. So I don't need to have a conversation, right? Yeah, because I kind of feel... I, I just... Going back to that point about breaking up with friends like you would a boyfriend, I do think it's a bit different because if I break up with a boyfriend, I'm very much prepared not to ever see them again. Yeah, that's the difficulty. But actually, with with another person, just because you've got a slight difference, I feel like it's so final to say... I don't want to be friends with you. And sometimes it's not that I don't want to be friends with you. It's just I just don't really want to hang out with you. That's I think also we have like rankings. I have friends who I would never go. Like my hallmark is could I go for a sober lunch with you alone? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I have lots of friends who I I would not go for a sober lunch with them alone. But Mm. who I could go for a slightly tipsy drink with another friend very comfortably. Mm. So I think think the people you've got to break up with are the ones who if you're in a group thing in the evening the pub their presence makes you feel less good about yourself or makes you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. that's the time to kind of that's the, and, and I think also honestly sounds maybe 
slightly indulgent, but bullying is a very real thing amongst mm-hmm. adults, almost as much mm-hmm. as it is with teenagers. And you do get bullies in friendship groups, and we, we put up with them because we don't want to lose the group, we don't want to make a drama, we don't mm-hmm. want to stir things up. And actually, if somebody is making you feel less good about yourself consistently, then you shouldn't be seeing them. Do you know what? I never... Oh, sorry. So, no, so the other friends that you have to watch out for is the friend that wants your friends Oh, oh yeah, that so is that true. friend, and so that's all. Also, where I put a barrier up, mm. where I know that a friend doesn't necessarily have a depth of similar relationships, sees my friendship group and is a bit like, "Oh, can I hang out with you?" And so and so and so and so, and it's like, okay, but it's such a complicated question because how? So it's, it's... no is the answer. It's not complicated, <laughs> Rebecca. It's not complicated. It's like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ghost. Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed yes. to say, because I introduce you to somebody, they're my friend. So I, have, I have a friend who's very cool, and all my friends want to be her friend, and I don't want them to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Sherry. I did actually once break up with a man who, when I said to him, are you going to miss anything about our relationship? He said, I'm definitely going to miss your friends. <gasps> wow. <laughs> I know. I was wow. like, oh. That's not good. I <laughs> see. I never ghost my friends. I I have imagine a dartboard, right? And I'm in the middle of the dartboard, right? <laughs> Narcissist. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you, Emma. It's all no, about you. What I'm you. saying is, imagine the rings out from that is where my friends appear, and some of them are on the. If there was a ring that was immediately around me, that would be the A ring. Right. The next ring round is a B ring. So I'm going to call C. you out because my other friend said this to me, and she didn't realise that she what she said she said i have groups of friends i have the a group i.e the people i actually want to spend time with the b group are the people that i call when i can't spend time with the a with no the i don't do that and the c's and they're kind of like just people that i check in whenever and that's exactly what you've just said no mate. it isn't what yeah, i just said is. actually yeah, what i said is I've, no, I, I didn't say that if the a's aren't available i'm calling up the b's i did not say that what i'm saying is that's that determines the amount of effort that I put into those friendships. Rebecca, so is there a character called normal. Emma in the book? <laughs> I, I mean, 100% the sequel's being written right now. <laughs> I'm happy I've been the inspiration because the narcissist I am. I want the lead role, Rebecca. <laughs> I'll name a character after you. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, oh, Rebecca. quite normal. Thank you, Rebecca. You're now my. You're in the A group. Well, thank you. That's, what, that's, what, that's all I want from my life. <laughs> oh, Rebecca, we've loved chatting to you it's all about friendship. Genius. Thank you so much. You're officially in the gang. You're in Emma's A group. Nat you and two I won't ain't in my gang same. anymore. You've been demoted. Uh, Rebecca Reed is author of Perfect Lies. It's out now in all good bookshops and, of course, on Amazon. Go check it out. It's a great read. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.